0: Welcome to episode 51 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, and uh, I'm joined once again by a very excited Darren Hill. Darren, we finally have a series on our hands.
1: That sigh of relief is for the 6.9% Pirate Life Session IPA and for uh, the Game for Golden State and Houston. So I'm feeling really good, Daz, really good.
0: Yeah, we spoke. We were going to talk on Monday night, and these series at that stage were just so uh, unexpiring. And the way the Golden State series was played at that stage, it was two-one to Golden State. And even watching the first quarter today, you just felt there was there was this air of inevitability about uh, the fact that Golden State were going to roll on. And I think I said to you at one stage, I think we're probably five or six games now away from the inevitable Golden State. Repeat, and we may still not be that far away from that. Um, whether they can they can recover from today, it is a two-two. But it's so rare to see Golden State punch a team. They go down the canvas, and you think, well, that's that's it. And then all of a sudden, they they retire to their corner, wait for that sort of ten count, and then they get up, and then they start throwing haymakers. And that's what happened today. Uh, Houston made two comebacks because they were down big in the first quarter. And then came back and took the lead at halftime. And then the third quarter, Golden State just came out and started hitting uh, circus shots left, right, and centre. Particularly, Steph Curry scored 11 straight points in the third quarter. Durant couldn't miss. (laughs) And they went up by 10. And I thought it was game over, Daz. But I I was still watching. But it was one of those things where you just thought, OK, Golden State have taken their punch in that second quarter. They've come out and done their thing. And they're just going to roll on. And Houston didn't even really start that well in the fourth quarter either. So Golden State actually extended the lead a little bit. I think it got out to 12. And then it was just a steady comeback. And the effort that both teams put in, but particularly Houston, they were just relentless, uh, manic on, on that defensive end as in that fourth quarter.
1: That was it. That was a, a. We could probably literally spend, and I would bet my life that Dunk and Danny are probably going to have a... Th- seven-hour episode on just the fourth quarter. I have no question about it. I could literally spend a whole episode on the fourth quarter. It was so interesting. Um, but the, to your point, though, on the, the toughness and in the, in the resilience of Houston, and those are not words we've used to describe D'Antoni or James Harden before, right? Even Chris Paul, I still think a little bit unfairly, has been labeled with that as well. But today today was a day where these guys, they refused to, to lose so for me, it felt like a game seven to them, and maybe that's what the, maybe that's what was going through their their minds and through, you know, through their um, you know through the bench as well. But it just felt like a this was they weren't going to be denied. But what's interesting for me is to go back a half step for the first quarter. Right was that, um someone I just saw this quickly. Someone tweeted out that um, when the game started, twelve nothing, right? Mm. Golden State was up twelve nothing. Yes. Yep. I don't know if you caught the beginning. I didn't. Well, I didn't, didn't that. Houston I didn't, didn't, didn't
0: score for the first five and a half minutes of the game. First five and a half minutes, they so did my, not score points. So,
1: so the, the the cool tweet was: um, Golden State has now outscored Houston by fifty three points in the last fifty three <laughs> minutes. <laughs> All right? Because they, they they lost the, that, that previous game by forty one.
0: That's true. Yeah. Right,
1: and and then got outscored twelve nothing. So fifty three point g- gap in the last 53 minutes of basketball. But I'll say this too, even
0: Mm -hmm. at that point, and I made the point to you in real time, I said Houston's D has turned up today. I said they're playing hard on the defensive end. And they could have easily been down 24 points at quarter time because they only scored 16 in the first quarter. It could have been game over. Normally that would be going state 36-16 and it is game over. They kept it within nine, I think it was. I think it was uh, 27-18. So they scored 18 in the first quarter. 28-19,
1: 28-19, but 20. yeah, that's right. Talking, it was only yeah. down, it was nine, which was shouting <laughs> distance, right? Nine is, that's three possessions, right? So, um, so that, that for me was that, that, that they got down, right? 53 points in 53 minutes and then got it down to nine. So I said, okay, that was a massive, massive gut check for them. They weren't going to just mail it in. So that was a huge one. And then, then they went nuts in the second quarter. Right where they started, they started bombing threes, and Golden State couldn't throw it in the ocean. And Steph got in. Did he get? Yeah, he got his third foul about halfway through the second, didn't he? It was about yeah, Steph got through. in foul he trouble,
0: got... and Looney was also in foul trouble. Not that Land Looney, Looney Clay... became a, an important piece in this game because Andre Iguodala was out injured. Yeah,
1: when did Clay bump his knee? I was trying to remember. Did Clay? and And Steph, were they off the court at the same time in the second quarter? Or did Clay bump his knee in the third quarter? No, that was later in the game. And I
0: don't even think he came out of the game, Clay, when he bumped his knee. That was in the third quarter. That was later in the game
1: that I saw it. Was it? Okay. Yeah, I thought maybe I was missing something earlier. But... um. So they came back had a roaring second quarter, then took a seven-point halftime lead. <laughs> so that's what made the wild swings of this game so interesting, right? Is the 12-0 run in the first by Golden State, that 53 points in 53 minutes, then Houston outscored them 34-18 in the second. And holy shit! They've come roaring back, and then as almost as predictable as the sunrise tomorrow, Golden State blitzes them in the third, right? And like, okay, I was with, I was with you. I thought the game was over. Curry did his thing where he scores eleven points in like fifteen seconds. That's a metaphor. They got out in transition. The offensive rebounds. You know, Draymond was doing Draymond, like vintage Draymond stuff everywhere on the floor. Looney's keeping balls alive. It was a, you know, just a typical, typical blitz. And like, you know, God, this isn't fair. <laughs> you know, you sort of have to respect it because it's so impressive when you got dueling MVPs you know playing like that and you've got the one of the greatest shooters of all time in playing and Draymond doing his thing and then the fourth quarter wow um so I don't know where you want to start with the fourth there's but there's a it's literally an entire we could write a book probably about what happened in the fourth um, well, the, it
0: was the defence that got me. Mo- I've never seen the a team defend the Warriors this well, this iteration of the Warriors. And, and they actually did it over four, four quarters, but it was particularly relevant, obviously, in the last. To keep this team to 12 points after they just scored 37. Now, I think the Warriors fell in love with the three a little bit. I, I would have liked to have seen them attack the rim a bit more. But, you know, having said that, Houston were blocking I mean James Harden had three blocks in this game. Uh, Harden's defense was as good as I've ever seen it does, particularly it in a big game. Uh, and you know we've I'm all—sorry—he oh, had two blocks, three steals. But you know um, how critical we've been of, of his defense. I thought his defense was really good in this game. He had a number of key turnouts, and they just didn't make mistakes on assignments. They were running; they were switching everything, which is what we expected coming into the series. But just. Yeah, you know, Golden State would get an offensive rebound, and 99 times out of 100, Golden State gets an offensive rebound it's an open three. And on multiple occasions, you had guys like Gerald Green, James Harden, not noted defenders, um, going in and, and actually getting the closeouts and actually making those into contested shots rather than the wide-open shots that they'd normally get. And that's what it came down to. I mean, Golden State, I think they were 3 of 18 in the last quarter, so that's that's poor shooting, I mean, which way you want to put it. But it wasn't so much that they went ice cold, is that every single shot was heavily contested, and a lot of them were very late in the shot clock, including the shot they had right towards the end of the game that Clay Thompson had uh, to tie it up. So that was as impressive. Now, Ken... I guess the question going forward is, can Houston maintain that? But it, it was legitimately impressive. The only guy that seemingly struggled to me on defense was Eric Gordon. The rest of them um, were just fantastic when they were out there together.
1: Yeah, that was that was something special for, for a team who had just done what they did in the third quarter in Golden State and do their thing, right, to turn a seven-point deficit into a 12-point lead. In, in the blink of an eye, like they do, to then continue to play and not only continue but lift it up in the fourth quarter was remarkable. And I, it was. I'm with you. This was not Golden State missing shots. I remember Steph missed one. There was one wide open three. Got key to him, yep. you know, in the in the near court the on the yeah, wing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it was a. It was a kind of. A, it was long and hard though. It did hit in and out, but it actually it wasn't that close, right? So he he bricked the one that was wide open and um. And it was just they denied, denied, denied. They just did not give them any space. And you heard, I know you didn't want to hear it with the you know, Zaza in the arena, but you heard Reggie calling it out um, when Kevin Durant made one of, the, one of the few shots that went in was one of those impossible 21-foot fadeaway mm. with, with Chris Paul, right? He's got 9 inches on Chris Paul, 10 inches on Chris Paul. But Paul is in his grill making it really, really hard. He's like, he just didn't give him any airspace. He just didn't let him rise up and let him rise way off balance. So the shots that they were getting were off balance. They were really late in the shot clock, like you said. There was nothing in rhythm. And it was just all because of the, it can only come from a supreme mental focus and exertion of effort to deny. So they'd switch the pick and roll or they'd fight through the top of, they were mixing it up and just making it literally impossible for Golden State to, to do their thing, and that's where I'm with you. That 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 defensive effort for a, literally a historic offensive team was maybe that's what made that fourth quarter so exciting. Why I found myself almost cheering for Houston because that wasn't the Houston team I, I loathed for six months. Right, mm. the, the team we loathed for six months was rocked baby to sleep for for you know for 23 seconds in the shot clock and make 50 free throws a game. That defensive team was the ultimate manifestation of what I imagine Daryl Morey was dreaming when he signed, um, I know Luke didn't play, but when he signed P.J. Tucker in particular and signed Chris Paul, to get that level of effort on every single possession was just, if defense could be a thing of beauty, that was a thing of beauty today. Well, it was
0: infectious too. I mean, and Tucker, to to mention him, he was 0-4 from the field but had 16 rebounds and was just sensational on the defensive end. So wasn't hitting his shots, but didn't matter. And that rubbed off on Harden. Harden did not have a good second half in terms of his shooting either. He couldn't throw in the ocean in the second half after a really good first half. He had 22 points yeah. to half time and only eight in the second half. And then Chris Paul took the load on um, in terms of scoring. That's the first time he's had a really good scoring uh, game this series and they certainly needed that from him. But Harden was was as in. Yeah, you know, as attentive to detail on defence as we've ever seen him, and just didn't make the mental mistakes. You know, he was he was defending without fouling, which is critical for him as well. Uh, he did give that sort of the one and one to Steph, which I didn't really like. The call it was a bit of a ticky touch foul, but it was probably there. And then uh, after that, the the two possessions after that. He uh, made two sensational closeouts on Curry. Curry tried to bait him into the foul on one and the second one. This was when I knew Houston were really locked in, when they got the offensive board... And James Harden just flies out of nowhere and puts up a massive contest right in Steph's face for the three that I think Steph was just assuming was going to be wide open. And all of a sudden, he's got the beard in his grill, and, uh, of course, he bricked it. And they were cleaning up the boards, which is another thing that a lot of teams don't do in that, in that situation. So uh, full credit to Houston. I mean, to, to come back the way they did and just keep fighting. And there's a saying they have in basketball, that, as you might have heard of it, it's called, you know, don't let go of the rope. And we've seen a number of teams in these playoffs let go of the rope. And Houston today had their opportunity. You know they were down on the canvas at three quarter time, down by ten. They could have easily said, "Look, this is not our year." And I think last year's Houston team, we've already seen what they would have done. You know they would have went out there in the fourth quarter, probably lost by thirty plus, as they did to the Spurs in Game Six. But this this version of Houston is a different beast. Completely different beast.
1: Two things to make it even more impressive. I'm gonna pile on this I agree with everything you said. So hard and redhead is, you know, Kevin O'Connor analytics, you know, pre ooze um hard on for his in um for his post defense this year, which I still think is is so ridiculous because, yeah, I could stand in the post and lean on someone when you let Chris Paul, Trevor Ariza, and PJ Tucker defend everyone else for you. And you got Chris Clint Capello behind you, no problem. But what I saw today from Harden was intense perimeter defense. And I go, I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember ever seeing this from James Harden. I say ever because maybe it's, I just haven't paid attention to it. And we just sort of, I gloss over that, right? When we're talking MVP and the way he scores. But his effort and his spacing and his timing and his body control and his staying vertical. I love how you pointed out that. I love that play when Curry tried to tried to pull a Harden and get fouled and Harden perfectly, stood the right distance, stayed vertical, and he's long enough, right? He's, what, six, six with a good reach. There was no way that shot was going in. I love that play. That play, to, that for me was the play, and I'm going to talk about Chris Paul in a second. That was play number one where I felt, oh, God, Oracles loot. Oracles, Oracles, a different place today. It started to feel like LeBron was in the house in 2016. That play right there, and then um, the second point I'll make before I talk about Chris Paul, and maybe one of the greatest passes I've ever seen, um, was they're Houston's doing this with uh, 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 D'Antoni Utopia, a seven-man rotation. These guys played Ariza and Tucker. Paul and Harden all played 41 minutes, Tucker 44, Paul 42, Harden 43. So these guys aren't giving, not only giving maximum effort against one of the greatest offensive teams in history in the fourth quarter, on the road, in a game where they have to win, they're also playing 40-plus minutes, Daz. And I go, I I didn't, and so that for me was what maybe what made it so dramatic and made you want to kind of go, fuck, these guys just want it more. At the same time, right? To your point uh, earlier, Golden State's thrown up. You know they're just dancing around the perimeter. They didn't have any strength or fortitude or plays to to get into the paint in that fourth quarter. And I think they're tired. I think their legs were going. I think Curry, no question, was was running on fumes. Well, Steve Kerr actually quarter. touched
0: on the, the third quarter interview. He said uh, they said, "What did you do that quarter to get ahead?" And he said, "Steph Curry made some ridiculous shots." And they said, "What have you got to do to see this home?" And he said. I'm, I'm going to try and steal a few minutes at the start of this quarter because these guys are going to get tired if I don't give them rest. And
1: he said that in the between quarters, did he? Yeah, he wow. said that
0: between quarters. And Draymond Green played 45 minutes, Durant played 43, Steph played 38, and Clay played 39. Now, they were gassed at the end of this game. They were
1: totally gassed.
0: And the funny they thing were totally is, gassed. I'll just touch on that too because we go back to game one and there was all the criticism about. Houston's ISO ball. And I actually said to you, I said, I think what you're going to find in this series is that Houston will tire towards the end of those games. So what happened, I said, let's let's do a bit of research and we looked at who actually ran the furthest distance in game one. And it was actually Golden State and it was actually a fair margin between who ran more mm-hmm. because their motion offence, they're actually working harder on offence. Yes, they're making Houston work harder on defence than AB Golden State are but there's there's more effort and more movement going into their offense so at the end of the fourth quarter it's actually Houston that might have a little bit more gas in the tank particularly if everyone's playing big minutes than what Golden State is and Golden State wanted that game today as they know this team's dangerous oh for they, sure th- this was not a game where Golden State are a little bit complacent like we've seen you know, against the Pearls against the Spurs in the first two rounds and okay we lose one who cares they wanted they wanted to put this team up to bed today, and now they know I, that we are in a series now.
1: I felt I don't know if you've I felt absolute echoes of the tentative Kevin Durant twenty sixteen game seven against OKC or sorry against Golden State when he's with OKC, and then you know LeBron game seven. I felt echoes of that right where you could just see the look in their eyes when the shots aren't going with ease for Golden State. There's they just, again, my parallel was the you know the undefeated Patriots, whatever year that was, uh, getting punched in the mouth by the Giants and going, holy fuck, I don't think this team's afraid of us. When they, you know, Houston is not, that's what I love about perhaps their play today, is this proved unequivocally, even if they lose the series 4-2, I think this changes the way Houston thinks about their team and the way they should feel about themselves. I genuinely think that fourth quarter was that big of a deal. That even if they lose this series now, yes, I know they're the one seed, but they're the underdogs, you know, to a seventy-three win team with two MVPs on it. I I, I believe so strongly about how well they played today that that they would they should run this team back again based on just what happened today. <laughs> well, no uh, lie, look, it, that, it's not no really lie.
0: beating them to the punch. So we talked about that that Patriots thing in terms of what the Pacers did to the Cavs in round mm-hmm. one. I think that was beating Cleveland to the punch and just getting it and punching him in the nose. This was different today. This was getting punched in the nose, being on the canvas, Golden State doing their victory laps. And like Apollo Creed, you know, when, when Rocky gets off the canvas <laughs> in Rocky true, 1. True, And he just says, let's go again. And then they're just, that fourth quarter They Golden State are trying to do the haymakers and they just kept blocking them. And they're coming back with sort of uppercuts of their own to... to Complete the boxing parlance of it, and <laughs> all of a sudden, go on state. You know, the, when the bell goes, it's Houston with the hand in the air, not go on state in this one. And uh, the, there's absolutely no question in my mind, this is a real series now. And, and Houston can oh, win this, yeah. whether they go on and win it or not. I don't know. I don't like the seven man rotation, that worries me. But it's not like Golden State are playing a twelve man rotation like you had last year where the Spurs are playing a ten man rotation even up to eleven men and Dante's going seven. This is really like for like now.
1: Eighty one percent of the home teams wins seven game series when it's two two. So this is again I wouldn't bet my you know, I wouldn't bet a loved one on an eighty one percent chance, but uh um they gotta be feeling good about it. Can we talk about Chris Paul for a little bit? Did, can we just talk about the?
0: the well, pass? I called this to you last night, didn't I? I said we're due for a Chris Paul game in this series. I said you I totally give a, I said I think Houston will win this game, game four. And I said this is going to be a Chris Paul game, and he was terrible in the first quarter, Daz. He didn't score. He was, 0 he was for three. Didn't put up another stat. And I went, oh. This is this is not good. But having said that, he didn't have the ball. It was all James Harden the first quarter. Harden,
1: had, I was going to say, yep. He came in yep, and actually right. had
0: the ball. When he had the ball in his hands, they looked so much better in this game on offense, so much better.
1: Who, who had the ball in the fourth quarter for almost the entirety was was him. Harden had a few sets. Um, he did like I like the one, um, very very smart when Kavon Looney went out with his fifth foul and Jordan Bell comes in, bang instant They put yep. him in the pick and roll and Harden picks him apart. It was a And really, every one of these buckets was critical, right? And so Harden, had a, you know, he did his magic where he just somehow gets to his left and then somehow, despite 10 bodies being the way, he gets to the rim and just fucking lays it in where it probably is a lot harder than it looks. He makes it look so easy to get through all-world defenders and just fucking get a layup. Well, um, and just, um, the, so we, he did have just to finish
0: few, that point too, mm, you're sure. taking a layup in this series, you're risking five points if you're James Harden. If you miss... That's down the other end, and they've been getting open threes all series. So there's a there's a certain element of risk to that play going in and trying <laughs> yeah. to lay it up, yeah. as well as the degree of difficulty.
1: Well, I used to joke that all. I would sort of say, well, what that does is gets him under the basket, removes him from being able to play transition <laughs> defense, which is a good thing for Houston. So I used to be that sort of cynic. I think he's... He, he's, he, he's um, He's gone up in my estimation today with the way he played his perimeter defense. The only one that didn't and, get back
0: today was Eric Gordon. He was he was the only one I saw bitching at the referees and not getting back I, on transition. I too. think
1: he, yeah, he also did a flop, but it was a real thought. It was a real fall. I don't know if you caught this, but Clay like ran out on him and Clay's arm flailed and just like literally hit Gordon right in the face. I did say that. And yep. then Gordon then then he did, then he did something like he'd been <laughs> shot in the back like a sniper rifle, I'm like. They, is this just... Is this taught? Is this the thing in Houston? It must be. Um, but sorry, back when to Chris Paul. I, so when,
0: when Chris Paul had the ball Chris in that Paul, fourth quarter, it was a totally different offense, wasn't
1: it? It, it was... He had complete control. He was point guard.
0: Well, talk us through the past. though, had Because you were going to talk about that earlier, and I don't think you finished the point.
1: My words... It's okay. So my point was that number one was... Um, where I, I was getting the echoes of, again, Kevin Durant's collapse with OKC in game seven against Golden State, and then Golden State's not being able to close out LeBron at home despite being a heavy favorite. The, I got point the first time I felt that was when Curry tried to throw up that three and Harden played perfect defense, and he, it was a wild shot that Houston took the other way. The next one was the, um, the play when Chris Paul got trapped in the corner and so he's literally in the far right-hand corner uh, behind the three-point line and does this sidearm. Um, you're going to have to Google this, Kent Tukulvi sidearm spinner, right? So almost like Shane Warren if we're in Australia. Shane Warren, Kent Tukulvi, if you're an American baseball fan, with a whole bunch of English on it that literally goes all the way to the other corner on one, is it one bounce? It might have been two bounces. One bounce just gets past. Kevon Looney's outstretched hands. Looney closes out on does Ariza. a little head fake. Um, moves to his right, which is not easy to do, and drains that three-pointer. And that pass, to go literally from corner to corner, under the basket, not hit the baseline, not get stolen, perfect timing to Ariza, who then calmly drains a three. That, for me, was the second play, the second position where I thought, they've got control. They have just done... the you know, LeBron, when he's being LeBron in the last eight seconds, um, against Toronto, when Chris Paul's making plays like that, you have, you're almost, it's Nirvana, it's flow. It's like, that is perfection personified on the basketball court. And it, you just you get to hear Reggie and Chris Miller, or Chris Miller, that's Reggie <laughs> Chris plus <Weber. laughs> Chris Webber, Chris Miller, was the old Atlanta Falcons quarterback, wasn't it? And, that for me was the mo. That was like the the quote the MVP moment, if you will, um, was that perfect perfect pass, and uh, yeah. that's where you sort of felt like they're they're in control. They are they are firing at absolute pinnacle levels. There was a pretty handy mention,
0: dunk by James Harden against Draymond as well.
1: That uh, was cool. And there's yeah. some feeling it's, it's,
0: between these two teams too, which I like it. And it's not
1: it's building.
0: It's a nice edge. It's not it's not a real. Yeah, cattiness about it, like you see sometimes on the basketball court. There's just a bit of an edge to this series, which I like.
1: I was going to say, I've been, you know, how you and I were so quick, um, and probably we might get there again, but just the way we've seen Golden State behave this year, Durant in particular, with all the bitching and all the petulance. The series hasn't been like that. The Mm -hmm. refereeing today, I thought, was, the free throw advantage was a bit warped, but. Um, I don't think it was bad refereeing. I think well, one Houston's team's attacking
0: the basket, the other team shooting. That's right. So You're going to expect that's that.
1: right. So I was really pleased with two things. There's not been a lot of bitching, and the refereeing has not been an issue. So those were two things I was worried. Right with both of these teams, the bitching um, dubs and the flopping rockets. You thought, oh God, you just know. I just sort of had that, you know. You just you worry that one of these games is going to be decided by some awful officiating or some awful flopping, and mm. and not none of it, absolutely none of it. So that's maybe what's made the the games almost feel a purity to them about them as well. Is really super strong defense, like ninety five, ninety two, Daz, right? For these two teams, two of the greatest offenses ever assembled. This is an amazing ninety five to ninety two, supremely tense. Every possession had meaning in the fourth quarter every right every rebound, every free throw, every defensive switch um had had meaning to it and that's the first time I think we felt that in this playoffs. maybe there was bits of that in you know Cleveland Indiana, game seven, but you know, bits yeah um but that's the I, first time I think I've felt it in this.
0: In this playoffs. And both teams had a 34-point quarter, so it wasn't all defence all the time either. There were mm. some offensive explosions mm. at different times. Let's look ahead to Game 5. So Game 5 is on Friday at 11 o'clock Australian time. I've got some questions without notice for you as to how okay. Game 5 and the series plays out uh, in all. So... In terms of the effort today, these are two teams that, to me, didn't have wouldn't have had a lot left to give. I mean, how would you have gone if that last second shot from Curry, which, by the way, they ruled afterwards was was after the siren? Oh, um, good, so I didn't So he know didn't know that. get it off okay. in time. But had had gone State have tied that game up, how would those teams have gone going to overtime today? Like they just, I can't remember a game apart from probably Houston. Game Seven. I think
1: you uh, you know, for you, I think Houston would have won by like nine points. I think it. I think Golden State was that gassed as I, do, I don't know how they would have played five more minutes. Yeah, I, I agree. Pace.
0: I agree and I think that's the game, like, just two teams that left it all on the court but it felt like Houston had that little bit more still in the tank and that's the question I guess for game five. Who is is going to come out with the more energy in game five and there's going to be a lot of emotion about game five. We've had the the tragedy in Houston, you don't want to touch too much on that, but it could be a factor in terms of the atmosphere in the building. Chris Paul was choked up talking about it after the game today. You know, this is going to be the biggest game we've seen in Houston, uh, probably since the Elijah one era. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, <laughs> you mustn't have seen my note in the spreadsheet. I said, I'm, I'm this close to going full wind horse and refusing to do predictions because <laughs> I was so, so stunned today. And you probably had a little bit better feel for, I guess, I don't know how you got that, but the, the Chris Paul game, but I have no idea, Daz. I actually, I have no idea. I really don't. Well, we're looking so, at two uh,
0: teams where we think... razor a wafer-thin rotation, really. I mean, Golden State are playing seven guys plus Nick Young. Now, Nick Young was minus 14 in 12 minutes today. I don't think we'll see much more of Nick Young in this series. If Andre Iguodala comes back for Game 5, does that, in your mind, swing the pendulum back to Golden State significantly, a little bit? Like To me, if, Iguodala, if they say Iguodala's back, he's 100% healthy... That swings it back mightily to Golden because i 'cause I'm I'm legit concerned about this seven man rotation and how much further Dan Taney can take this. But having said that, Golden State looked the more gas team to me today at the they end of the game than, what, than what Houston were. They seem to be working <clears throat> harder for their points than what Houston are. And I think that's that's actually becoming key.
1: Well, I was also confused about the rotations, like why didn't why didn't Livingston get more of a run? Right. They kept going with the oh, I think the I think line-ups.
0: you'll find Livingston can't play big minutes. Uh, this is a guy that's had his health issues in the past. I just don't think that they trust his body. He played 15. He played well, 15 minutes okay. <laughs> I didn't think he. I didn't realize he played that short of minutes, minutes I I, it was. It was, it was, the it was a, obviously,
1: obviously, what was going on was Kerr was favoring. And he put, put, Jordan Bell was playing the fourth quarter, right?
0: Well, this is to and why I go, I go back to Golden State wanted to knock them out today. That's not like Kerr to just say, I'm going to throw everyone out there for big minutes. No. yeah, uh-huh. I think he would have said, let's win today. If we lose game five, so be it. Then we'll take care of business in game six. Now you've got a yeah. situation where you put you've, you put some chips on the table. Well, the, the, the math, for you.
1: 81% of the home teams win. That's just math, right? It doesn't mean that Golden State's still not perhaps slight favorites, but <clears throat> I'd say slight so, okay, so the answer of I don't know, that's, that's not really great um, radio, is it? Um, game 5, okay, <clears throat> let's have a think. Um, the, the, the mystery to me is going to be how does Steve Kerr, and I think he hinted in the postgame, how does he adapt or change his rotations or change the mindsets of his guys knowing they're probably going to have to play a lot more iso ball right? Because there's nothing hinting. Houston's found the formula. It's fucking, it's fourth game in, right? The, the, the Golden State can't change that much overnight, literally in 48 hours. So I think they're going to see, continue to see that high pressure from 35 feet away. Lots of denying the basketball and lots of more. Again, don't let him land clean. Don't give them airspace and just deny, 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 and not let them get threes. Just don't let them get clean looks at three. Whatever you do. So, Therefore, the way you're going to get shots up is more iso ball. So I can see, because we've seen it before, and he's very capable again, if Kevin Durant gets in one of those Kevin Durant moves, like he did in Game 3, where he's just rising up and shooting over everybody, and it feels more effortless, and he's getting, just getting the ball in a little bit better spots and getting it a half a second sooner, and they're starting the offense a few seconds earlier, I think you can start to see Golden State score with more confidence and more consistency and, and get some momentum. That, for me, is the big question. is Can they play more iso ball? Because look at the stats today. How many assists Golden State have today? They had a whopping 12 assists, yeah. 12 yep. assists for the whole game. That for me is the big question for Golden State. Um, I think there's probably some rotation things they might do, but to your point, if Iggy's back, that does change it. Um, I'd like to see a little more Livingston, maybe a little more Quinn Cook, less of you know, less of these centers, less less Jordan Bell. Um, as to Houston, it might be, it might be as simple as um, we didn't see any Clint Capella today, which was really interesting. It some. Um, he's still there, active in defense. They only played 24 minutes today. So it's the can they get enough again? Like they got, um, they got just enough points from the supporting cast, right? Ariza drained a couple threes. Um, Eric Gordon was ice cold, but he played. I know you didn't like his defense, but he was a bulldog today. I thought. I thought he fought through everything. I thought he was pretty tough and pretty stout. So it's can you get that from from Ariza and Gordon, and Gerald Green was a maybe that was all the. Um, second quarter run and a bit of the fourth. But Gerald Green was a plus 14, right? He and had I the mirror, go, yeah. He,
0: he was the mirror of Nick Young. He was plus then and Nick Young was minus 14. And they both played 12
1: minutes. I know. <laughs> that's right. I think that's right. They probably shadowed each other. So it's the, can the deep bench, I don't mean to hint that Ariza is a deep bench, but can Gordon and Green, can they do that again? Because they're going to need it, right? That's, that's that's often what these games come down to, the, Kev, the Kelly Olenek moment, um, the Derek Fisher shot, right. The you know the Eric Gordon playing thirty five minutes. Gerald Green was playing crunch time, as not quite the final five minutes, but he's playing very very meaningful minutes in that fourth quarter and fueled that run when they got down eighty two to seventy. And he was everywhere. He made one shot and shot a couple crazy ones, but he was everywhere on defense. And I think I texted you at the time. It felt like this guy is playing to get out of prison. Like this guy was playing. You couldn't possibly give more effort than Gerald Green was giving. Mm. So energy levels are going to be up. Confidence levels going to be up. And, boy, um, I think you're going to expect more of the same from Chris Paul. He was the closest thing to an efficient player today. Ten for 20 from the floor, right? Five and nine from three. Missed a couple free throws, only had four assists, didn't really hit the glass. Um, but he was very, very consistent and ramped up his game in the fourth. And I go, you win a game like this in your Houston, when Harden only goes 11 for 26 and 3 of 12 from downtown, he was ice cold in the second half, right? You've got to be feeling pretty good. So if Harden, instead of going 3 for 12, you know, does his, he does his typical, you know, say 6 for 14 or something, you have to be feeling pretty good. So Yeah, but
0: here's the Hard- thing: odd temper about Chris Paul. Chris Paul had the big game in Game 6 against Utah. Uh, was it Game 6? Sorry, Game 5 against Utah. And then he was—he didn't do a hell of a lot in the first three games of this series. He's, I mean, there's a possibility he's getting to the point in his career where he's not going to be able to have back-to-back massive offensive games like what we saw today. I mean, he's been very good in the defensive end pretty much all series. But I'm, I'm not sure know. they'll be able to yeah. rely on as much. And just on Capella, Capella, even though he ain't played 24 minutes today, still had 13 rebounds, the, the, the advantage he's giving in this team is he's, he's not being completely shown up in one-on-one defence, and he's at least allowing them to maintain some um, competitiveness on the rebound. I think the rebounding edge for the Warriors is, is plus eight across the series, and that was something they relied on those first two rounds but and probably haven't been able to rely on as much. So I think there's still some value for Capella, but they've had a lot of success playing P.J. Tucker at centre. And I think there may be, I'll be interested to see if, if if Steve Kerr's not at least tempted to maybe give one of these big stiffs that he's got on the bench a run and just see if they if they can match height for height and try and keep Capella on the floor for longer because at the moment, well, certainly today they didn't necessarily win the small ball battle. they certainly didn't game through. so these things can change around very quickly. But uh, I'll be interested to see if the small ball lineup of Houston continues to play well, which they did today in the second quarter and of course in the fourth quarter. Does it's then going to be up to Steve Kerr to say, okay, now it's your move in the chess match? Does he come back with, and he doesn't have a hell of a lot at his disposal, does he? This does? is
1: well, this is this is the this is pick your poison from Golden State. Is Kevon Looney's been a pretty good defender, right? He's a decent rebounder, but he's an absolute black hole on offense, and he had a critical. Now, if I'm Kevin Durant, I don't know why the fuck Kevin Durant's throwing that sort of semi-lob down to Kevon Looney. Do you remember this play late in the fourth, maybe about four minutes to go? He threw it a bit high, and he kind of bumbled it out of bounds in a massive turnover. Like the guy just has no confidence and no instinct. And every time he'd catch the ball, he was just he was like a hot potato. He couldn't pass it fast enough. Like, can you afford to have a guy like that when Houston's playing defense like that? He cannot afford to have Kevin Looney on the floor. When Houston's playing defense like that, so therefore, who is it? It's got to be Livingston or Quinn Cook, or you know Nick Young is such a liability on defense. But um, I well, saw that's from where the Iguodala was, That's where Iguodala becomes cr-
0: critical. Because he's a huge one. He's that's huge. the that's right. That they're the minutes that. that uh, Looney took today That Iggy That Iggy takes up That's a fair call That Iggy takes up So that that's where But again This was a team We thought was deeper This year than they were Last year And I think we've, we're Seeing now That's yeah. not the case This I mean I don't know what Happened to Caspi I thought Caspi Was going to be A good player For this team He's literally Contributed nothing For them all year uh, this, um, is, this is a really inactive. Wafer thin roster uh, outside of, obviously, their, their top four or five players. And Iguodala, the, the health questions have been there for a number of years with Iguodala. It's been the knock on his career, unfortunately. Obviously, a great player when he's been on the floor. But you know, he he didn't play today. He was doubtful after Game 3. I'm not sure what sort of level of health he's going to be at a Game 5 either. And if you go down 3-2, now there's obviously zero room for error.
1: I would like to see somehow, some way, somehow... With this um you know sort of pressing scheme denying scheme that houston's got going going to somehow initiate the offense faster in golden state and get the ball into clay's hands because clay is the only again only had 13 field goal attempts today only got off five five three pointers right and you know when you see clay like he did in game one right when he, he got off whatever it was six for 15 from downtown right it's yeah. games like that when you've got clay going you know Durant and Curry are going to go for their flurries. They're going to. They're, they're that good. They're going to have spurts. They're going to put twenty-seven points, and they're probably going to come in clusters like they did today. Somehow find a way to get Clay unlocked. Well, he shot the ball. the
0: ball five times, but he was probably run off the three-point line twenty-five times. He was.
1: I mean, yeah, that's he was. that's
0: the key. Can Houston keep up that level of activity and relentlessness on the defensive end? If they can. I'm not saying that that, that doesn't even guarantee him victory, but it, it puts them in a hell of a lot better position um, than than when they're not. I just my my worry, I guess, is is this is this sort of defense, and we, we sort of saw something similar to some extent from from Milwaukee. That there's not much room for error in this defense. You only need one guy that's not quite working, is uh, misreading rotations and things like that, and they're going to be. Um, Getting it Feast wide open it through yeah. us, you know. So that's that's the big question: Can you maintain that level of not only effort but execution um, over the next three games? Well, certainly two of the next three games, anyway, which is what they're going to need to do um, from here. So we might move on, Daz, to the Eastern Conference Finals. But so, uh, look, I'll, I'll throw I'll, I am going to throw a prediction out there. I'm sticking with going saying six. That was my original tip. As much as today I, I admire what Houston did, I still feel like... And Game 5 is going to be a classic. This is much what basketball does. I don't know what you've got on, on Friday, but uh, you really need to try and reschedule whatever you've got uh, on t- to I try know. and, to try and watch, remind me. watch this game because this, <clears> this is what this season has really built to. And it was this morning, first three games of the series, but... Uh, today was was fantastic from the drama point of view, you know, and even from the basketball. I mean, you know, you can sit there and say 95-92, but that, that's the sort of game I loved as, where defence and offence, and there's a real, real genuine battle between both, because Golden State were obviously playing very good defence in their own right uh, for most of the game. So this, this is what we wanted to see.
1: That was a compliment that the teams with this the average in the regular season 108 110 mm. right to, to have this high quality of game end up 95 92 was was a testament so that was meant as a compliment yeah, yeah. it was so um i have no idea i, I don't <laughs> i have i have a feeling how the game would be played but i had i have no idea who's going to win so i've I, just got a my feeling
0: prediction? i don't yeah. think uh, i don't think chris Paul's going to be as effective in game five i think Clay's ready to go off. I, I think that Houston, are, as, as well as their defence ran today, I think they're playing a little bit of a dangerous game and I question whether they're going to be able to maintain that again uh, for fourth quarters. Um, and, and even today in the yeah. third quarter, they didn't play bad defence in the third quarter today. They, go and say we're just making ridiculous shots. They play brilliant defence for all four quarters. Can they maintain it? I, I, I'm not I'm not convinced.
1: Well, in the same question, the mirror, the mirror image for Iggy is, I know he can barely lift his shoulder above his head, but can you, can you steal a 12 minutes from shard Batamute to get out there and defend like he can for just, you know, maybe two six-minute spurts, you know, maybe late in the first, early the second, maybe late in the third, early in the fourth, to buy some minutes for Ariza or Tucker, right, to get them a few minutes rest. That's the other question for me. Just give him... Give them six minutes, right? Give them twelve minutes. Run, um, and um, free up some from space for those guys to be a little bit freshers Is maybe another variable to look for is which of these guys will find the right sort of seventh or eighth player to make the right kind of difference that they need in the game. And I'm, you're right. I, I might have to cancel client client <laughs> meetings to, to see this. I don't know how I'm gonna, I'm gonna be uh, not distracted. So I'm. Yeah.
0: Well, we've got another game five tomorrow. the East Conference Finals also locked at two-two. Not anywhere near as compelling, I, I would I would argue this series. But I think we it's going to this tomorrow is going to be the interesting game. I think then then we're going to have a lot more to sort of feast on in this series. It's really gone with the the first two games. Boston won as the home team. Cleveland won the second two games, fairly comfortably. I mean, game four. Boston sort of made a couple of runs after Cleveland got off to a hot start. They got it back to seven in the fourth quarter. But you never, I watched most of the game, you never felt like Boston really were making a concerted run and, and yeah, Cleveland weren't sweating that much. And I I just, this series to me, Daz, has got a little bit of a Toronto-Cleveland feel from a couple of years ago. I just don't feel like Cleveland feel what they're being pushed. And so, well, when I say Cleveland, I'm talking about LeBron James, of course. I don't feel like LeBron's... They haven't really earned his respect yet. That's that's the sense I get. We'll be interested to see if that happens in game five. I think the pace has earned his respect right from the start, whereas this one, I just feel like he's like, OK, we've had a feeling out period in them first two games. Now we know how to attack Boston's defence, and that's what they did. In the two games in Cleveland, uh, they really used Boston switching defense against them. It was a lot more attacking of the rim rather than settling for the threes, which they did in the first two games. And I, and I think you'll probably see similar to that from Golden State in Game Five of the Houston series. Uh, so that's that's the, I guess that the the chess match now moves to Stevens. You know what is going to be there, the change that they make for Game Five, or is it just as simple as the other players in this series are playing better at home than they are away.
1: Yeah, I I, um, um, I was almost going to just pick that very last point you made was I was going to be the contrarian and say, the only interesting thing about this series is the the longer is the narrative around it, right, which is, you know, LeBron doing this with, you know, a a ridiculously impotent cast and Boston doing this in the, in the finals with, with without quote unquote their best two players and Hayward and Irving end quote. That's that's the more interesting longer term and almost almost look back perspective. But the the games themselves they haven't even been remotely interesting. I won't lie. They've not been they not been a compelling minute yet. Has there? Well, there's no been a real intensity in the
0: basketball days. There's, no, there, there isn't. There's not been one minute if, of, of basketball where you thought, oh, no, these two are going
1: at it." Literally, not one. But I, and so that's why I was going to give the contrarian view. Go. Uh, I, it's for me. It's not about anything that Boston does. This is 100 percent about the, the the ridiculous formula that exists in Cleveland this year. Is if Cleveland starts making shots, right? Then they start trying harder on defense. Now, there was an exception to that a couple of days ago when they just, you know, they only made eight for the whole game and just went, you know, went LeBron crazy ape shit at the rim and in the paint and decided to attack. But that's, we've seen a direct correlation between Cleveland's offensive success and their defensive intensity. So even in game four, right, came out and blitzed and took their foot off the gas for three quarters, right? So, you know, that's not terribly interesting. What's gonna be interesting is Cleveland gets up early and gets some excitement and LeBron sees Kevin Love make a few shots. LeBron gives Le- Kevin Love a wink and George Hill plays the way like George Hill played in the first quarter um, yesterday, which was spectacular. He was attacking on D and up in Grozier's face and you know he was like a you know a hybrid between Harden and Chris Paul, you know, defending the perimeter, what we've seen George Hill do for what, nine years in a row in the playoffs. Um, I think you'll see Cleveland take control again, but if Cleveland does what Cleveland does often, shots don't go in. Kevin Love gets two fouls. Corver steps on the end line a couple times, setting his feet for a three. George Hill disappears. You know if they, they just do something, right? They just so quick, right? They do something wrong and they get disinterested and LeBron wants to punch his own teammates. Um, you know that feeling it happens all the time. Then, yeah, this, you know, this kumsi kumsah, ho-hum, you know, we're just going to go execute Al Horford Boston team is probably going to win. So, for me, this every outcome, and this depends on just does Cleveland feel good? You know, how do they feel that day? Do they believe in each other? Well, it's been Are the story they, of
0: their whole playoffs, is When the other guys has. turn up, they win. When they don't turn up, they lose. And they lost to uh, the Indiana... Game one against Toronto, LeBron had his worst game of the playoffs and, and Corver and Jar Smith finally turn up and, and Ja Smith, I think, had his best game of the playoffs, shot five or six from three. Hasn't looked like playing another game like that since. His, his biggest impact has been pushing Al Horford in the back and nearly uh, ruining Al Horford's playoffs um, yeah. from there. So... And that—that's, I think, the story. It really—you're 100% that's right. That's the because story. With the it, yeah. Celtics, they're pretty much all others at this point in their career. I mean, we, we certainly see the star potential in Brown and Tatum, but I don't think they're there yet. Um, so they—they they are you know, in an idealist ideal scenario for the Celtics. They're the role players this year, and obviously Hayward and, and Irving are the stars of the show. Um, what I do—I yeah, I will. I was... just, yeah, you go.
1: Oh, sorry. I, I was I just uh, to finish that point, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, was I was thinking the same thing as you mentioned, that a team like Boston has 0% chance in a game like the way Golden State played in quarter one and quarter three, hmm. right? Or the way Houston played in quarter two, quarter four. And I mean, they that's where I think you'd see the youth really come back and become reality is when, when you need... What what Houston was able to harness in the fourth quarter, it it's just not it's just not there yet. They've not built those muscle memories yet. So um, well, they anyway, looked tired. My...
0: They looked tired in game four. I mean, Jalen Brown got blocked three times by Kyle Corver. I mean, Kyle Corver probably won't have yeah, another three blocks in the rest of his career. Does, uh, and he had three in the one game. There. I I will yeah. say this about Boston. I think they need more from Al Horford. Al Horford. Uh, is only only averaging 14 a game. Now, he's, he's playing Kevin Love to a draw in that sense. I think Kevin Love's averaging about 16 yeah. a game. But he's 20 rebounds less uh, across the series than than uh, Kevin Love. And that's been the knock His on defense board. has been great, though. His defense has yeah. been great. But the, I, I just feel like he needs to put up a bit more. And, and he's only shot the ball 40 times, so he's getting about 10 shots a game. This is time, I guess, for Stevens. to maybe go, okay, we need to feature Big Al a bit more, uh, as we did uh, in the Philadelphia series, because I think they need more reliable offence from somewhere, particularly if Cleveland do get it going in one of these games um, in Boston. Because, look, LeBron's going to get his. I mean, he got 40-plus points in Game 2 of this series, and Boston did it pretty easily. So it's it's just... This is the big question. Who's going to come along for the ride on the other side of the ball? But I feel like... Boston's going to need a couple of big offensive guys from Al Horford to get them over the line.
1: Yeah, but, you know, the offense, he's not a shooter and a scorer, Daz. That's why I go, I know what you mean, but I think big means he goes, what, 8 for 12 from the floor, right? You just need a supremely efficient game. I think it's the, look, the, these kids, the kids play better at home, right, than they do on the road. That's that's no mystery. That's That's been kind of the truth for, for quite a while. It wasn't the same as the Bucs series, right? They're... They won all four games at home, lost all three on the road in Milwaukee. Um, They're one and six in the playoffs on the road, and they're heading home. So, you know, I think you expect, you know, more from Tatum and Brown um, in the game coming up. It's just, I feel like it's more likely that they run out of bullets, right? Marcus Smart was abysmal. Uh, Aaron Baines, surprise, surprise, didn't make a three-pointer. In the last game, <laughs> right? Shemille Jolie still doesn't have an offensive game, so he just, you know, I think the the on paper Boston Celtics. I think the deeper this series gets, the the less likely are the Celtics are to pull this out, just because on paper, right? There's only so much that a 20 year old Tatum, 19 year or 20 year old Brown, 19 year old Tatum, Shemille Jolie, Marcus Smart can can really do. So you're right. I guess you're right in default that Horford needs to be even better as a facilitator and score on the offensive side. And I think for me, perhaps the mystery, the, the variable is the, is can you, can Terry Rozier harness what he did against the Bucks, right? If he can, you know, have one of his games where he gets 20 shots and, you know, scores say 30 points or something, and just have one of those explosive games, then they've got a shot. But I just, my gut tells me that I think, I think they're running out of, I think they're running out of gas, but, I still then say that it's all going to be that all of that will be overshadowed by what Cleveland does and how they feel and how they feel about each other and their mood <laughs> so <laughs> I think
0: your prediction will get, end up being yeah. spot on I think they'll I think uh Boston will win game five go up 3 two and then Cleveland will take care of business uh in games six and seven
1: yeah it's just I had that feeling I, go, I just I think the way leBron. I guess I just sort of dive into history a bit, and even if he loses the finals this year, I think you can look back on this and say, "Boy, look what he did with this crap team." He had basically three different rosters around him this entire season, and to do it the way he did it, you know, against against Indiana and what he did to the mercenary against Toronto, and then to win in Game Seven on the Garden—just maybe that's a bit of you know, a, a romantic in me trying to write that story. But, do you say so quick? Yeah, I think I'm it's a gut... Gut feeling. So you're
0: you're sticking with you, Cleveland, and seven.
1: I am. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So quick question. My my
1: gut was that I think Boston's Boston's running out of gas. I think that's what I'm, I think mm-hmm. they're I think they're finally running out of gas.
0: Is my, I agree, <laughs> and I think you'll see that uh, Potentially in Game 7 no, I actually think this is going to be a series that Boston probably wins Game 5 easily And Cleveland win Game 6 and 7 easily I I'm not convinced we're going to get a close game In this series, but I hopefully It might come down. Yeah. we'll see a Quick question yeah. about those: Do you see, and, and we haven't really spoken about this All, all year, and, and it's been for a reason Because I think it's going to dominate the off-season talk But I think I'll, I'm interested in your thoughts right as we stand at the moment do you see any scenario where LeBron James returns to Cleveland next year? Because I, I don't.
1: What's the scenario, right? Um, like, what would
0: they have no, to do? To no, not
1: much. <laughs> trade seven more players and bring in. More like, there's no
0: way he's going the, through but, but this who, again no. because he's had to work too no, damn hard, no and he's getting and and he's looking forward now, Daz, and he's thinking, I want to be doing this for another who knows how many years in his mind he wants to keep playing for. He might be thinking ten freaking, years, Daz.
1: I say Jordan, Jordan played till he was right thirty-nine.
0: That's right, but Can he, he, he do... needs to be in a different situation as of next year. He yeah, cannot do this again and think that that's not going to come back and bite him when he's trying to go uh, for I think it's a, his career.
1: I it's an extremely low probability, like 5%. I, it's really... I well, even if they win 20. the title,
0: right? Well, he, he can go out of the hero. That's
1: what I'm thinking. Like, well, what's, if they win the title, he's exactly, certain to go. He's certain to go. If they right? don't win the title, I guess the
0: only thing is if they lost in six or seven and it was a heartbreaking loss and he goes now I want to try and do it again with this team but even then I would think
1: look in, in the, the the 1% chance right is that uh, this one if george hill plays <laughs> george <laughs> hill goes 20 and 10 the next two games next two games and then does 20 and 10 you know average and plays ex- exceptional defense for six or seven games in the in in the in the actual NBA finals but even then, it's George sleeping the hill, right? So no, yeah. he's not back. No, no, there's no chance he's coming back. No, there's no, no way. And well, when he
0: had to put this team on his back in November to beat the Kings, the Bulls, these the Nets. I remember those games. Those at the start. Of the that's season. why
1: he's so grumpy. I
0: know it's. You know he he wants to he wants and this is the thing where people are saying, well, I don't know that he's going to fit in in Philly, and I don't know if he'll fit in in Houston and these teams he go to. I think he he'll be happy to take on a bit of a back seat in some respects next year. I don't think he's going to want to be the guy that puts the team on his shoulders night after night. I think he's <laughs> going to want to say Why why I think he's so going, I begin? think he's going to be happy. <laughs> Look, let's say he goes to Philly. I I don't think he's going to have a problem saying you know what let let, let let's let Ben Simmons run the offense for
1: no fucking way for no, a few plays I violently disagree with that. Now, if what you're saying is... So I'm not saying that, in the big
0: if, games. I'm saying night to night, Daz. He was having to... You, did you see the amount of effort he had having to put in against the Kings, the Bulls, the Nets earlier this season? They're the nights he's going to be able to say, you know what, if I have to stand, stand over here and take a few threes tonight oh, to elongate my career, yes. that's the role I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when it comes to the Ty- NBA Finals.
1: Kyrie... Ky, I say Kyrie will, has sent LeBron out of Cleveland, but it's not Kyrie. It's Dan Gilbert, who mm. fucked around the GM, David Griffin, who could have built and and had a different conversation with Kyrie and d- built a different team. So Dan Gilbert has run Kyrie and LeBron out of town. 100% so wrong. that's what yep. you're saying, right? He's yeah, that's lost, exactly right. He's wrong. lost his boy who could just – Kyrie can get buckets whenever he wanted, and LeBron could just jog, right, mm. or sit, or – Eat pretzels or what? While Kyrie does magical things, so yeah, no zero percent chance he's back on this team, and that's too early for me. I'd have to start revving the engines again about where he might go. But man, it's hard not to watch today's game and go, "Fuck you, Kevin Durant. I'm going to Houston. I don't care. Okay, let's bring it on. All right, let's go, Chris. Well, yeah, they've got to
0: make the room for him. Oh, I'm, I'm, st- I'm, I'm yet Morey's to be. More he's been thinking.
1: More even thinking about that, there's a scenario. So I, again, I'm not. I just, I'm just in the moment, caught up in the you know, recency bias in that net game today. And you got to, you are. LeBron was one watched every minute of that game and was texting whomever he was texting after the game. Daz uh, probably wasn't D Wade. It was probably Chris Paul, right? He watched every minute of that game today. I guarantee it. And you've got to be thinking, right? You watch that versus the, you know, the petulant the petulant um, Joel Embiid, the guy who was the man and beating his chest, and I'm the leader, and I'm the man, and I'm the man, and I'm the man, and I'm, I'm going to trash-talk fucking Aaron Baines, and I'm going to get in the grill of Shane Larkin. Like, he's a child. LeBron doesn't want to babysit either, to your point. He wants to be part of a – he wants to be surrounded by men, right? And he needs to be able to, you know, respect and get the respect and be challenged by and give and give his teammates permission to challenge him a little bit. That's why I was called Dwayne Wade his stable goat, as Dwayne Wade, you know, calls him on his shit, because LeBron was, you know, D. Wade was MVP level when LeBron joined him, right? So that's who LeBron's going to respect and want to be around. It's not going to be around baby, baby Ben Simmons, who doesn't want to be in the shadow of him and this you know, man, child, and Embiid. So I think Philly is a ri- ridiculously horrible fit. Hor- horrible, horrible, beyond horrible. So I don't know. Veteran teams, right? Veteran guys and veteran teams, is where I think he's going to go. So yeah, Houston, well, so I mean, I think
0: I think yeah. Kawhi might be a domino that that could fall and and. and... Uh, yes. assist him in a decision yep. one way or the other um, and I'm not suggesting that's going to mean necessary the San Antonio but I, I could see a scenario where the Lakers where he goes to the Lakers and say I want to play in L.A. and they say we'll, we'll look we'll, we'll trade you know um Brandon Ingram and, and Kuzma and uh, Luol Dang for Kawhi on the proviso that LeBron signs. Uh, otherwise, we're not probably giving yeah. up that much for Kawhi. So I think there's things like that that may, may swing in. And I don't think the East... I don't think the East is necessarily as attractive to him now as what it probably was two seasons ago, where you're like, you stay in the East, you're guaranteed to the finals, because Boston are rising, Philly are rising, um... You know who knows what Indiana doing this off season, but they've shown this this season that they can sort of go blow for blow with a with a albeit a a very limited roster next to LeBron. So if he comes back with a limited roster and meets Indiana again, there's no no guarantee he gets past that. But so if he goes to a, a super team, uh, to use that term, and he is in the West, you know, on State, they sort of you know then they're, they're still going to be very good next year, no doubt. But we're seeing. I think this year that there's a little bit, there's a little bit more light at the end of the tunnel, and I think that that roster is going to get thinner and thinner, and they've probably got some decisions to make around guys like Clay Thompson going forward. Although the problem is, I guess if if Warriors lose Clay Thompson, there's no way they replace him. But we're probably jumping a few two, no two, way,
1: he's no
0: few two step, many steps no. ahead there. But I mean, yeah. look, yeah. if you could say Clay Thompson goes and we could replace him with two or three guys. That, that can fill out the roster, maybe that's a decision, but of course they can't because they're up against the hard cap anyway. So they either re-sign or get nothing. So I think, and I think that's going to start to bite Golden State at some point going forward. I think we're already seeing some of the problems that had in this eventually series, in this series. Eventually. So yeah. uh, let's the other big news Daz, was involving your Milwaukee Bucks. So they've finally finished their coaching search, uh, and they went with um, Buttonholes. There was some sort of I thought Buds might go to Toronto, actually, but um, what I'm hearing is Toronto weren't as keen on him uh, in terms of wanting to offer him a big contract, and he and he was in love with Milwaukee anyway, so that it wasn't really the mutual sort of love um, from the two of them. I'm not sure who was sort of... Uh, I think from what I've heard, Buds was sort of more in love with Milwaukee than Toronto anyway. But what, what's your sort of first thoughts on it, Daz, and, and what sort of research have you done about Buds um, in, in rooting up on this in the day since they've made the announcement?
1: Yeah, look, um, it's pretty rare when you know the Bucks Twitterverse and the hardcores, hardcore fans are in, in unison, but they're pretty much in unison on this between you know, uh, feeling like, hey, this is a safe pick, it's a good pick, from a camp that was really hoping for a Nick Nurse, Chris Finch, up-and-coming assistant type of hire, Becky Hammond, etc. cetera, um, through to downright downright blissful that to be so lucky and so fortunate that a, you know, a guy in the prime of his coaching career, um, former coach of the year sort of exec, happened to be coming on the market right um and to be even available d- during the coaching search so that's that's the range of emotions is wow safe pick pretty smart through to wow how lucky are we to get a guy like this so that's the sentiment of the fan base for sure um and budenholzer is absolutely downright giddy literally he was giggling at the press conference when um interestingly like telling me so it was actually these press conferences don't reveal a lot right um but they're 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 there to celebrate and tell tell everyone how great stuff is and but what was revealing when they talked about okay you've only been here for a couple of days you know what what have you been doing and his answer was in the press conference is like well we've gotten together with the the nutritionists and the player development guys and the coaches and the strength and conditioning we've already had you know our, our big brainstorm and we workshopped you know what we're up to and, and how we're putting together our plans for the guys and he goes that's for me has been that's what's the, the most satisfying the most gratifying the most you know the why I why I'm so blessed to do what I do is you know Hawks University quote-unquote the player development side of things and he specifically called out just how excited he is to work with um to work with uh Giannis and, and with Fawn. he called out Thon Maker right and DJ Wilson yeah. though there as well no no doubt DJ Wilson he would have seen And, you know, the scrotum hanging down from the shorts and saying, man, we gotta, we gotta get this guy some, get some more PT, get him some spreads on GQ magazine or Playgirl or something. But he's, so to, so, um, his, his behaviors and his work approach is already literally from day one, day two is around as quickly as possible. We and it's feeling like he's going to bring his entire staff with him, going to <clears throat> get their heads around, right, what's the optimal player you know, development for each individual player so they can be best versions of themselves and um, approach the summer and the offseason that way. C- couldn't be more different than Jason Kidd, right? Where Jason Kidd's approach was to get the guys in the locker room I make them ask, each, Make them ask, answer the question one by one. Hey, who do you think is the best player on the team? <laughs> right? To pit them against each other where he's the star, he knows best, he's got all the answers, where Jason Kidd is the oracle, he is the, the mastermind, he is the, the, the future Hall of Famer, and, and you are there to be lucky to learn from him, right? So the ethos of a command and control where your boss makes you feel like you're always dumber than him mentality, which rubs rub everyone the wrong way, right? So from that culture and that mindset through to a guy who's trying to customize detailed plans literally down to your exercise regimen over the next six months and how you can become the best version of yourself has all of Buck's world going, Hey, and I think at the pundits as well from Duncan Danny to to open floor guys and, um, Ben Gulliver, like, I look at the punditry who know holes are better than I do, because I'll be honest, I haven't studied the Hawks very much, Of saying what a great fit to try and get more out of the roster than they got. When you look at Tony Snell, you look at Middleton, Giannis, possibly Jabari, Fawn, Sterling Brown, you kind of go, you know what, a team with seventh in offensive rating, and got to where they got to in spite of the worst coaching situation in the league, bar none. They go, maybe this is this is exactly what they need as a developmental sort of coach, who, all by the way, is pretty good at the X's and O's. So everyone's optimistic there. It's of course it's early, early days, but it feels genuinely like a dawn. I don't remember having a coach this good full stop since Don Nelson like George Carl was the cult of personality right he inherited the big three so and he then of course shipped off Ray Allen so I go this, this could go down as who knows we don't know but could it could go down as one of the greatest hires in Bucks history for coaches But granted, that is a very putrid history if I were to rattle off the names but it's a a day of great optimism he's got a good track record my research went all the way back to um, Paloma, Paloma Picton, Paloma. What was the name of the colleges that, that Pop coached at? The, oh, the super yes. rich Southern California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, P- no,
0: no, no. Pits- but that, the, the you remember. Pits-
1: from- Pritzker, Paloma, or whatever. Yeah, whatever. So I did some research back to his um, Pritzker, Paloma days, whatever. It's the two universities, the Southern C- Californian liberal arts colleges, supremely difficult to get into. Right, they didn't barely had any scholarships, so that's the that's the university that Pop turned into a you know a bit of a powerhouse. So Bud's you know worked for Pop there when Pop was in his you know was in his thirties, mm. in his mid to late thirties. So anyway, Pritzker, I'll get it right. <laughs> what I learned from Bud's back then, right, was I saw interviews from about you know ten about uh, 10 years ago, it was right when he got his coach, his, his Hawks coaching jobs, interviews from about five, six years ago, asking him to, to reflect about that time. And he talked a lot about how um, right, these were guys who were barely, they were high school players who didn't come on scholarships because he had to get such great grades to get in the school. The school had lost, you know, they'd win like one or two games a year, literally go two and 25, and just get embarrassed year after year after year and how they took a group of guys who had no right, no reason to be competing against the big schools and built the culture, built the system, worked their asses off, right? This is where he gets his disciplinarian from and his work ethic from and his, his focus on fitness from. Back in these days, the only way we're going to win games is we work harder, practice harder, execute better. And so hearing his, that's how he found his identity as a coach is you know, how to take the you know the, the six foot four white kids, you know from the smaller high schools, and have them competing against the six foot eight, you know urban kids, the black kids with supreme athletes. How are you going to get them to compete and win? And that's that's I guess the the promise, and I guess that's the promise of buds, is can he re- and, uh, unleash something in this club? Who right? It's is got also a lot of salary cap problems, and not a lot of future. They've got a they've got basically all their picks minus whatever one goes to Phoenix, but they don't have a bunch of future assets. So this is largely their team. So all those things coming together, his history, his um, Hawks University stuff, bringing his coaching staff, Giannis and the team are already giddy about it. So it's all signs point to, my goodness, considering what they went through with Jason Kidd, you know, with the owners just picking their buddy and hiring him, even though Larry Drew still had a job through to the completely bungled, fractured ownership decision around the, the GM last year, this was almost literally a perfect process. So perfect yeah. process, and again, oh, two weeks in, a week in, a really good result. So that's, sorry, that was way more than you wanted to know about that. No, it's all right.
0: Pomona Pizza,
1: that Pomona Pizza. thank you. That is the name. That's the it. So, that's uh, it. A
0: couple of quick points I'll make on that. So it, it's interesting looking back on the kids' time with Milwaukee, because had... Had Kidd have been sacked last off-season, I think his reign would be looked at far more differently. Like, it would, and, and we spoke about it, didn't we, in last, last off-season. We said, is, has Kidd taken this team as far as he can? And I think the mm-hmm. answer clearly was yes. And it was time probably to move on at that stage. Now, they didn't realise that sometimes you got to go further. But look, I think what Golden State did with Mark Jackson is he, probably the way to go. You look at it and understand this coach has taken us as far as he can. Let's make a move on from him um, because things aren't going to get better. So it would have been. But having said that, had they sacked Jason Kidd last year, Buds is probably not on the market. So they've they've ended up with Buds. The player I'm most excited about for Buds is Tony Snell because you look at what Buds did with Demary Carroll, you look at what he did with Kent Bazemore, that's the type of player Mm. I see Tony Snell being. He's completely marginalised for whatever reason um, uh, this season. So and if he can somehow unlock Thon Maker's uh, abilities that we've seen sort of flashes of in the playoffs, and for whatever reason haven't seen anything, he looks like a deer—literally a baby deer—in the it's headlights and co- the red lights. It's
1: season. confidence. It's—I mean, you're you're bang on. It's confidence. Snell Snell is a little more of a gentle character, right? Um, quiet, introverted guy, supremely judicious. He's you know he's not a big city kid. Doesn't have the flair. He just he was in Kid's doghouse and he just lost confidence. And when your coach doesn't believe in you, that's what happened. That's what happened to Jabari last year. It's what happened to freaking Mirza Toledovich in playing defense. It's what happened to Thon. It happened to Greg Monroe. It's that's what Kid did. Is if he didn't like how you played, you just get you completely get banished. And some players respond to that with uh, like Eric Bledsoe demanding to be traded. Some players respond to it by playing harder and working harder and being angry. Some players respond to it by being taking it personally and going, God, what's wrong with me? Maybe he's right. So that's what's that's what's happened, right? And so Joe Prunty happened to be this nice soft voice, uh, just impotent game manager. So I think <laughs> Prunty was a relief. And he was he's a nice he's a nice guy. Prunty's nice, right? And he's positive. He just doesn't have the nous to manage a game. So they've gone from you know, the abusive parent to the, you know, really nice, um, you know, uh, st- not even step parent substitute foster home with, with Joe Prenti now to like, you know, they've finally been adopted by a proper, you know, proper, uh, proper family with, with, uh, with daddy Bud. It was weird. Actually, there was some one weird thing that <laughs> means how much of a nerd Bud is. It's just always—you never like to hear it in a press conference. Like he's got this persona, like this pop, this strength. This guy earns seven million dollars a year, and right, there's all these pedigree and former coach of the year and pop, and he's got this thing, and and he just said something like, "Oh, and there's my daughter, and she's here today, and you know she's you know she's really proud, and we're excited to see the city, and we're gonna take a tour, and oh, and so is my girlfriend, she's excited to see it too." (laughs) Like, "What, what what are you talking about, your girlfriend? You got a girlfriend? You could who? who, It was like... It was this weird, awkward Tinder moment. So it was a little bit... I think it's just because he's a bit of a nerd is what it was. I'm like, oh, man. Chris Middleton was in the crowd and... um, The, the Lester Plumley, Marshall Plumley, they there were the two players at the press conference, and you know they had have been like tweeting, like, "Oh, dude, man, he's <laughs> he's so not he's so not getting any tonight." You know, he's <laughs> just like this little nerd, like, "Oh, I've got a girl." Hey, everyone, I got a girlfriend. That's what it felt like. It was like the the nerd who got the girlfriend to go to the date, to go to the prom with him. So anyway, well, he- but Milwaukee <laughs> likes it. M- Milwaukee's kitschy. It's you know, folksy. We we like that shit. You know, it makes him makes him human.
0: Well, let's just hope he can get a seat at the restaurant, which Giannis wasn't able to get uh, <laughs> after game four. Uh, this is, the the last point I make on got. I think we're, we're looking at them in a bit of a different light. Taking Boston the seven games, I guess, has raised a few eyebrows given what Boston have done since then. So maybe even with all the bad coaching that they got, the upgrade in coaching, you just wonder where this team ceiling is now. And that's going to be the big question, I think. And I don't... you know. I think they're right to just play it back next year. Obviously, there's a decision to make with, with Jabari, but I feel more positive about Milwaukee going into next season, even if they don't make a lot of moves outside. Let's say Jabari's not even back next year. I still feel much more positive about this team. I think that they could be pushing for that top four seed and looking a lot better just simply from the upgrade in coaching that we're going to see um, from the tie fire that was the sort of kid prunty mm. year to Buds next mm. year. Um, so looking back, but look, that's fair. Yeah, so look, we might leave it there, mate. We've got some big game fives to come in the next couple of days um, and, and we'll talk again uh, over the weekend. So uh, Saturday, Sunday, the game sixes as well. So we may even have one of those series in the book. Um, we might aim to sort of try and speak on Sunday night, uh, Australian time, uh, prior to hopefully we might have a couple of Game 7s to look forward to. It, as who knows?
1: That would be fun, actually, wouldn't it? So as long as they're not 41-point blowouts, I think that'd be fun. Yeah,
0: let's um, hope so. Let's hope so. At, least, at least we've got a, a couple, of, couple of series, and, and one obviously a little bit more compelling than the other. I think the amount of time we spent on both series probably shows you which one we think is slightly more compelling at this stage, but the, the Warriors Houston, right from the start of the season this is the series we've been waiting for so it is nice to actually at least get one really good game that we get our teeth into and let's hope the next three um, if should we get three uh, just as uh, exciting and as interesting as what today's game was
1: I'm going to cancel my client meetings as we speak <laughs> so we can see That's Game 5, Houston-Golden State <laughs> Alright buddy, alright mate, good to talk to you again, we'll talk next week have a good one. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Thanks. Bye.